Genesis 17, um, verse 1 to 21. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make the covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed, and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house, and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Mark, thanks again for reading the passage for us. And if you were here with us last week, uh, you remember that a big truth that we saw was God's commitment to the nations. Uh, we saw that he cares, he sees, he hears, 
the people from different tribes, tongues, and nations. And I suggested last week that it's this commitment which drives the rest of the Abraham narrative. But this week, we're going to explore something different, um, the how. Now, what is God's strategy for the blessing to go to the nations? Uh, what does it take for Abraham to be a light to the nations? And personally for us, um, how will we be light to the those around us? How will your office floor or those on your Zoom calls or your Microsoft team calls, how would they turn to Jesus? Uh, so this week, that's the question we're going to deal with, the how, uh, the strategy. What is the strategy for the blessing to go to the nations? Uh, Genesis chapter 17 I want to suggest it's quite a difficult passage. There are a lot of technical aspects to it, uh, not least the covenant to Abraham and the sign of circumcision. So we do need to be careful about how we apply this passage and figure out what it means for us today. So I'm going to do my best to help us understand what's going on. And we can have a short Q&A after if you have any questions from today's passage or the previous couple of passages. And chapter 17, it's, as well, it's another well-known passage where people refer to it as the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, like chapter 15, uh, we see God stepping in with a covenant whenever the situation looks uncertain. Um, it's what I like to call um, God. He, he doubled downs on his promise. If you reverse a couple of weeks ago, you remember in chapter 15, we saw Abraham doubting God. Uh, chapter 15, verse 7, if you have there to, you have your Bibles in front of you, um, he says to God, how shall I know that I will possess the land? Uh, does, does God uh, wag his finger at Abraham for his lack of faith? No, instead what happens is that God, he double downs on his promise and he swears on his life with the covenant of pieces that he will surely give the land to Abraham. And this week, we have a very similar idea. Uh, in chapter 16, uh, we saw Abram and Sarai, God's chosen ones, failing horribly. Uh, Sarai, she, she mistreated Hagar, and Abram ended up sleeping uh, with his wife, maidservant. So what should God do uh, when, when Abram takes his promise and shoves it back in his face? Uh, does God say, a good riddance, Abram, I'll find someone else? No, instead, look at how God, he doubled downs on his promise. Now look at verse 4. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Um, did you notice um, how God, he amplifies what he's offering to Abraham more than just being made into a great nation. Uh, Abram will be a father of a multitude of nations. And he has his name changed to emphasize that point. Uh, Abraham literally means father of a multitude. And more than just a group of people coming from his loins, uh, there will be royalty. 
kings will come from you. And more than just entering the land, uh, his offspring will have the land forever, an everlasting possession. And the climax of this covenant, like God says, I will be their God. A restored relationship with their creator. See, all all that was offered to Abraham in the previous chapters, uh, here it's being amplified, intensified, and expanded. And why? Why why does it happen? Uh, Was it because Abraham was being faithful? Uh, No, the converse is true. Uh, He was not faithful. Uh, Yet God was gracious. Uh, He sweetens the deal for Abraham. At work, you, you might have an incompetent co-worker in, on your team. Well, if he messes up once, uh, you close an eye. If he messes up again, uh, you might dock his bonus. And if his third mistake is a big one, uh, you show him the door. But God here is different. See, Abram, he, he fails multiple times, each failure worse than before. But each time, God, he, he sweetens the deal for Abraham increasing his base salary, multiplying his bonus. And he changes Abram's name to Abraham to show his intent. Um, God's covenant uh, is him doubling down on his promises, very similar to what he did in chapter 15. But I also want you guys to notice that this covenant in chapter 17, well, is distinct from the one in chapter 15. Uh, Firstly, it's distinct in terms of scope. Uh, Chapter 15, the promise was for the nation of Israel to come out of slavery and to enter and inherit the land. But I'm not sure if you notice in chapter 17, there is an international dimension to what's being offered. God says to Abraham, you will be a father of a multitude of nations. I will make you into nations. But you see, this covenant has an international impact to it. And this is how Abraham will impact the nations. But not only is it distinct in, in scope, it's also distinct in condition. See, if you recall in chapter 15, uh, it was uh, what people call a unilateral covenant. See, Abraham, he was in deep sleep. Only God alone passes through the animals that are cut in half. God alone swears on his life that he will bring the covenant to pass. But here in our passage, there's a a condition. I look to verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that or so that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. So yes, the, the deal to Abraham is sweetened, but this time it's, it's confirmation, it's contingent on Abraham's response. And we only see the confirmation of this covenant in chapter 22 um, after Abraham is tested with his son. Uh, but we'll see more of that in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, so notice the distinction between covenants, chapter 15, it's national. Uh, chapter 17, it's international. Uh, chapter 15, it's unilateral but chapter 17 it's contingent and so we see in chapter 17 another covenant is on offer one that has an international impact and if abraham wants to be the light to the nations if he wants to be the blessing to peoples around the world 
what must he do? He must walk blamelessly. Abraham, he must walk blamelessly. But what exactly does blamelessness, uh, sorry, blamelessly mean, uh, you might ask? Uh, what does it look like for Abraham for him to walk blamelessly? And to be absolutely clear, uh, walking blamelessly does not mean being perfect, uh, living a sinless life. Uh, no, rather the, the underlying Hebrew word has more of a sense of completeness, uh, the idea of being completely dedicated in an uncompromising fashion. So walking blamelessly, it is not an impossible demand to be perfect, but rather it's a a reasonable call to be completely dedicated to the Lord. And we can understand why, um, if you think about the context. Uh, Chapter 16, Abram and Sarai, they were far from being completely dedicated to the Lord. Remember, Abram, he listened to the voice of his wife and slept with with her maidservant, Hagar. So Abram's command here, to walk blamelessly, to be completely dedicated to the Lord, is for him to, if you like, grow up in his faith, uh, to be steadfast, to be mature. So we have uh, in chapter 17, a covenant with an international impact um, that is on offer, but it requires a blameless walk, a life dedicated to the Lord. But then again, you might ask, like, what does the blameless life, what does a blameless walk really look like? And that's point two on the handout, if you're following there. It looks like dedicating your whole body to the Lord. I look at verse nine. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Uh, If this was an all-age church service, uh, this is the moment where parents with little kids start to squirm a bit. Uh, Circumcision, like what a strange sign. Why circumcision? A talk that I've heard before in this passage uh, start to go on to speculate about the potential health benefits associated with it and other random bits of medical research. But my suggestion here is that all we need to do is to be careful readers of the text. And the narrative flow really helps us to understand what's going on. Remember chapter 16, uh, the failure of Abraham and Sarai was that they failed to trust in the Lord to give them their own child. And particularly, it was Abram's misuse of, uh, to put it as mildly as possible, his, his male re- reproductive organ uh, with Hagar, which resulted in their failure. And so the sign of circumcision, a cutting off the foreskin, uh, it's a solemn reminder to Abraham to dedicate himself wholly from all of his body parts to the Lord. And the next time he is tempted to falter in the same way, his circumcision will serve as a gracious reminder for him to walk blamelessly before God. And it's worth digressing from the narrative for a moment and to understand what it means for us. Do we need today to be circumcised if we want to be God's people? Well, the the answer is, is no, but also yes. 
As you know, in terms of the, the New Testament, particularly in Paul's letters, uh, he categorically states that circumcision of your foreskin is not required to be part of God's people. Uh, so no, a foreskin removal is not required. But yes, uh, in another sense, uh, circumcision is needed. By the end of the Pentateuch, uh, Deuteronomy, uh, Moses explains that the main organ that is dysfunctional is not the male reproductive organ, uh, but your heart. What ultimately needs circumcising is not your foreskin, but your heart. And that's the language that the New Testament goes on to describe all Christians. In Romans, Paul says circumcision is the matter of the heart by the spirit. So yes, uh, similar to Abraham, uh, the force of what God is saying is still there. It's a call to, to dedicate our whole being to the Lord, uh, to use all of our body parts to serve him, our lips, our hands, our eyes, our minds, our hearts, to walk blamelessly before him. And by verse 23, we read that Abraham, well, he obeys God and circumcised his whole household. I mean, it's really easy to forget how big a commitment this is. Convincing all the men of your household to be circumcised in the period where local anesthetic did not exist. I mean, one must wonder, like, what kind of pushback Abraham had when he told them to get circumcised. But, but what prompted him to make such a big commitment? What gives him the courage to suffer the pain of foreskin removal? And that's our last point. Uh, it's prompted by trust in God's ability to bring life from nothing. In the third section, uh, from verse 15 onwards, God, he turns to speak about Sarai. And again, we see God being really gracious with his promise. Uh, you would think that Sarai's catastrophic failure in chapter 16 should result in punishment. But look at verse 15. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. See, like Abraham, she gets a name change. Sarah, which means princess, is indicative of God's promise that kings will come from her, despite being 99 years old. As some of you know that I, I grew up in Singapore. And as a nation, I, I think we pride ourselves for being pragmatic. I uh, see it's pragmatic decisions which has helped uh, the nation to develop rapidly. And likewise, we see that's what's happening here um, with Abraham. He offers a very pragmatic solution to God. Uh, he tells God, I already have a son, Ishmael. Bless him instead. Uh, God, you don't need to trouble yourself with the difficult task of miraculously producing life from a barren womb. But you see, rather than letting Abraham dictate the terms, God here, he is forcing Abraham to decide whether or not Abraham is going to trust him. And look at verse 19. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. God is saying to Abraham, Abraham, the covenant will only be established to a yet-to-be-born child of a 99-year-old. 
Uh, will you trust me, Abraham? Do you trust me, the creator of the heavens and the earth, to do this work of life giving? Are you willing to walk blamelessly before me, dedicating your whole being through the sign of circumcision? Verse 26. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. You see, a covenant with an international impact is on offer, but it requires walking blamelessly before the Lord, dedicating your whole being to him. And it can be done if it's prompted by trust in God's ability to bring life out of nothing. And so in this chapter, we, we catch a glimpse in embryonic form how the blessing will go to the nations. For the first time, the foreigner is brought in. The foreigner is circumcised, becoming part of God's chosen family. So how will the blessing go to the nations? And what is God's strategy? Well, it's by Abraham walking blamelessly before the Lord. So we've dived into the passage. We've seen what it means for Abraham, but what does it mean for us? I see Abraham, he is God's chosen one. So his call to walk blamelessly is unique for the covenant to be established. So does it apply to us? Well, the short answer is yes. Uh, yes, it certainly does in the Lord Jesus. Uh, we know that Abraham's offspring is, is ultimately Jesus. Uh, Galatians 3.16, uh, let me put the verses up on screen. Uh, says that now the promise were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. And so the Lord Jesus, he ultimately fulfills this blameless walk. And through him, the blessing goes to the nations. And for all those in Christ, uh, that quickly becomes our calling too. Uh, we follow in the footsteps of our Lord. Uh, Philippians 2 verse 14, do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. And so the strategy for the Abrahamic blessing to go to the nations is the same then as it is now. See, as we, as we walk blamelessly before the Lord, completely dedicated to him, holding out the word of life. That is how the nations will be won for Christ. Uh, perhaps one reason why we might be uncomfortable uh, with this language of walking blamelessly is because we are afraid that it might lead to a works-based righteousness. But you see, this is not what our passage is saying. Uh, walking blamelessly before the Lord. Well, it isn't the strategy to obtain righteousness. It is the strategy to reach the nations. In Genesis, Abraham was counted righteous because of his faith in chapter 15. His decision to walk blamelessly was prompted by faith in God. Abraham is made righteous because of his faith, and his faith prompts him to a blameless walk. And although I can sympathize with the fear of falling to a works-based righteousness mindset, it can also lead to a diminished commitment to live wholeheartedly for the Lord. Uh, it's no surprise that 
many of our non-Christian friends are put off by Christianity due to hypocritical Christians. Uh, sure, some are purely cynical, but it's a fair point. Uh, it's a really curious thing when Christians profess with their lips to not be of the world, but with the rest of their body parts live like the rest of the world. So, you know, walking blamelessly, dedicating a whole being to the Lord is the strategy to reach the nations. Uh, some of you might have heard of Carl Lenz. Uh, let me put a picture of him here. Uh, he is the celebrity pastor from Hillsong Church, uh, the one-time mentor of Justin Bieber. Uh, he was caught committing adultery and had to step down um, earlier, late last year. An article describes him as well-known for his looks, tattoos, AG glasses, not just style, but fashion. Uh, his uniform described as a St. Lauren judge, a leather jacket, a ripped jeans, a low-cut t-shirt, and often sporting a Rolex too. And the point I'm trying to make is not that there's anything inherently wrong with being fashionable or owning a Rolex, but the, the wider mindset that we need to be like the world in order to attract the world. Uh, there can be some churches that think the strategy to reach the world is to be attractive in the eyes of the world to do what the world does, but if possible, provide a better product. And fundamentally, that's the thinking behind the prosperity gospel. Uh, be better, be more prosperous than the world to attract people in. But you see, that is diametrically opposed to God's strategy to reaching the nations. Be blameless. Dedicate your whole being to me. A trust in my methods to reach the nations, not yours. And perhaps many of us can fall into that mindset and in the workplace. See, we, we think that the strategy to reach our colleagues is to show that we are one of them, uh, to come as close to the line as possible, but hopefully without crossing it. See, um, the, the opposite is true. God's strategy is to walk blamelessly before him, to be as far from the line as possible. And I'm not saying to that we have to be weird or, or tactless. Uh, please don't hear me say that. But what I'm saying is that the strategy to reach your office floor is not to be the same, but to be, to be different, not like light in a world of darkness. And my dad um, just retired on Monday after 40 year, 41 years of working for the same company. Um, he's quite an old school kind of guy. And early on in his career, he was on a business trip to, to Japan. And on the last night of the business trip, his general manager took them out for a meal and suggested that they visit a strip club as part of my dad's initiation. Uh, you, could, you could see the face of the general manager uh, turning really black uh, when my dad politely told him that he preferred not to and told them to go ahead. Uh, he threw a fit and they all got into the cab uh, to head back to the hotel and there was complete silence throughout the entire journey. A few weeks later, my dad got transferred to a different department, which I guess seriously affected his career progression for a few years. And yet 35 years after that incident, last Monday, he gave a retirement speech to his whole office floor with his CEO present. Most of them already knew that he was a Christian and worked with integrity and impacted the lives of those around him. And in his speech, he shared briefly about his faith, which gave rise to an opportunity to invite someone to read the Bible. 
And that's what it means. Uh, the strategy to reach the nations is to walk blamelessly before the Lord. So I hope this encourages us today to think what it means for each of us to walk blamelessly before the Lord, to dedicate our whole being to him and trust that that is the way that the nations will be reached. Uh, why don't I pray for us as we close? Father, we praise you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that in the world of darkness, he did not conform to the world, but he was the light in the darkness. Father, as your children, might we follow in his footsteps, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.